You're listening to the Madcast Media Network. Madcastmedia.com. Welcome to Super Arrogant Bros, recorded on May 16th, 2020. I am your host, Dirk, and with me, I have a very special guest. Uh, I've had him on for uh, an interview back in 2017 during the Anime Iowa coverage, and I would uh, be very honored to welcome a large penis Alex. From That's Psycho- what they call me. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Dantre from the band Psycho Stick, a band that I've been following ever since, God, 2006, when I first came across their music. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, man. Are you sure it was 2017? I thought it was like 2018 or was it really that far, that, that, that long ago? It was, yeah. Oh, man. And What's happened? <laughs> you, and you were a phenomenal guest for the show, uh, and I had a lot of fun being able to party with you guys after you did your set at the uh, convention. That was kind of a rowdy night. I remember that particular convention surprising me because I am not – I don't know much about anime at all, so I'm always kind of the odd guy out at the conventions especially, but the anime one in particular, I was really, really just like completely out of my element. And uh, you guys and several other people I met that night were so cool to me because I could just like be completely ignorant and ask questions like, hey, so what is that creature walking around in the cosplay, whatever? And you guys will explain it to me without like thinking I'm insane for being there, but not knowing anything about it. <laughs> so it was a lot of fun. Well, and, and you and everyone else was fitting in quite well with what was going on. Do you have any uh, special memories or anything you want to bring up from uh, that convention? Yeah, uh, this wasn't the convention necessarily. It was like the after party thing. We kept visiting. I drank a lot that night, but we kept visiting <laughs> uh, somebody in their room and they had like a dance party going on or something. And like they made their own some sort of cocktail and it was really good, but. I'm, I just remember it was a very unique situation. I've never been to a house party in a hotel room before. <laughs> That's what it felt like to me. Do you have any experience with other conventions? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've done lots of conventions. Um, in the last few years, we've done probably the biggest one was Dragon Con in, what is that, Atlanta? That's like five different hotels connected to each other in downtown Atlanta. And it's like, uh, I think they said it was 70 or 80,000 people attended that thing. So that was incredibly huge. Uh, we did MAGFest a few years ago, which is awesome. Uh, we've done uh, some in, what's the one? I guess that's not going on anymore, but some in Wisconsin, some in Texas. Um, too many games in the Philly area. We love that one. We've been doing that one for like five or six years now. So yeah, we've been increasingly doing them more and more as time goes on. That's fantastic. And the thing about Anime Iowa is, like, the convention is not just, like, from a certain period of hours during the day. It, it goes through overnight. Even if the, the dealer room is closed and there's no exhibits going on overnight, it's, like, the entire experience is, is the entire, like, 
all of it. It's all of it. It's it's the uh, uh, the outdoor party. It's the fires that are outside. It's it's a, an incredible experience. And so I'm actually glad that you were able to come for that. Yeah, it was awesome because it, it felt like a community too. Because a lot of festivals and concerts, things like that, you know, some are better than others as far as feeling that way, where you just feel included, regardless of whether or not you're a fan of all the bands or whatever performers they have, whatever it might be. But that particular one, it's like it's very memorable to me. Now that I've done a couple dozen conventions, probably that that one definitely sticks out. And somebody got actually the promoter got married that uh, I think it was at the show. Even it was crazy. <laughs> Well, you mentioned about it feeling like a community. There's actually a very good reason for that. And so the the drink that you had at that, that house party, uh, I think it, it was referred to as Grog. But Yes, that's correct. Yes. Yeah. So the guy that was making it, uh, we used to have him as a co-host in one of my other podcasts. Referred oh, to sweet. As, yeah, he's uh, referred to as Gutman. Really good guy, actually. And Did you say Gutman? Gutman. Gutman. Okay. (laughs) It was a movie reference that he wanted to use for his name. But, but, you know, I I thought he did great for the show uh, back when he was in it. Either way, uh, he's actually a huge part of the behind the scenes for Anime Iowa. And he helps run things from a group called the League of Disposable Ninjas. That's a great name. (laughs) Absolutely. That's an excellent name. Yeah, so we we truly have people like him to thank for how things are running smoothly in Anime Iowa. So, and and I hope that your your band is able to make it again to one of these conventions. Yeah, I mean we love doing conventions, and Iowa's pretty close to it's like you know right next door to Illinois. So once you start doing it again, for sure we'll do it. Oh, absolutely. Now, uh, tell us about your book, uh, Dichotomies, Lessons from a College Life on Tour. Obviously, I don't want you to give away too much about it, but uh, I actually have my copy uh, being delivered right now. And oh, so, sweet. Yeah, yeah. It's It's been in my list of books to go through. I already have uh, at least two, three books in my house I need to go through as well. But uh, yeah, I'm making room for yours. But tell us about this book, though. All right, so basically it is the chronicles of my life getting through my very first day in college in 2011 to my last day when I was the valedictorian of my master's degree giving my speech uh, at the commencement uh, ceremony in 2017. So, yeah, six years of my life, uh, we went all over the U.S. a whole bunch of times on tour. We went to Canada, we went to Wales, Scotland, England, all these different places and i was taking all these classes while performing on tour for those six years and basically we played over 500 concerts in those six years and i completed like almost like i think it was something like 50 classes <laughs> oh my god so it was a, a busy busy time for me but the book uh, each chapter is a different year so it starts with chapter 2011 and then chapter 2012 and so on and I just talk about um, the kind of the two worlds colliding with um, with academia and with the music world. And it's a very kind of a frenetic, like a very frantic read because I want to jump and jump back and forth with tour stories and some crazy thing that happened with a fan or whatever it might be. And then start talking about how I got my algebra test coming up next or, or whatever it might be. So 
it's it's a pretty wacky story and certainly unique. If nothing else, it's definitely unique. It definitely is. And what I'm what I'm getting from uh, the way that you're talking about this book is that like you can actually pursue the aspirations that you have, even when yeah. you have all this shit that's getting thrown at you. Yeah, that's exactly why I chose Dichotomies as the title, too, because nobody thinks about the touring life and getting a master's degree and like being the same world. And they're so they're thought of very differently. So the way I want to approach things in my life personally is I don't want to give up one goal in order to achieve another goal. So when I decided to enroll in college, I wasn't ready to stop touring. I don't want to stop playing music. So I didn't. And this book is my proof that it's possible. So if someone chooses to do multiple things with their life at the same time, why not do both? You know, you don't have to stop doing one just to accommodate another. Absolutely. And I think that more people need to have that kind of attitude for the projects that they're working on. Well, um, I hesitate to say need to because, you know, if someone chooses to because they want to, then absolutely I'll encourage it. But Mm -hmm. everybody's different. So if somebody, you know, if other people want to focus on one thing at a time, that's totally cool. It's just uh, personal preferences. For me, I like juggling things, apparently. (laughs) Why is that? Uh, Because I am interested in so many different types of things that I, it's not that I get bored, but I need a challenge. I need a challenge in my life. And I explained that a little bit in the preface of the book as well, uh, talking about how it's not that I was bored with touring by 2011. It was just that it didn't seem like a challenge anymore. I needed to explore something new and kind of see what I'm made of. So that's why I got into that. And so since you have, have graduated, uh, what have been your uh, goals or pursuits outside of the band? Oh, okay. I have uh, several things. So I graduated in 2017 with my master's. Um, 2018, I gave a poster presentation at my university. Uh, that was basically, I adapted my master's thesis into a poster so that I could present it at this scholarly exchange kind of presentation thing. Uh, and I got uh, an award for it. So that was really awesome. Um, wow. And then in 2019, yeah, 2019, so last year, uh, Dr. Forbes, who I talk about in the book somewhat, uh, he was the chair for my master's program in business psychology. And he uh, suggested, he recommended that I get into, or at least apply to teach some psychology classes at Franklin University. And you'll understand when you get to the part about Dr. Forbes, but when he recommends something, you take it seriously because he's possibly the most well-read person I have ever met. And he's just wildly intelligent and very inspiring to me. So he's a really great mentor. So when he suggested that I at least apply and see if I can try it out to see if I like it, I was like, you know what? I'll give this a shot. So I applied and um, yeah, they took me on as a psychology undergrad professor. (laughs) Wow. So I've been doing that since last August and I'm on my what fifth class now. So now I'm teaching neuropsychology. Oh my God. That's fantastic. Thanks man. And, and Oh, I also, uh, I am working on wrapping up my first academic article to be published. Hopefully I'm actually working with uh, another person at Franklin to try to, uh, kind of go in a slightly different direction. Cause it's been a struggle trying to get it published because who knew peer-reviewed academic journals are really challenging to get published. <laughs> so I've been, it's, it's been very, it's been 
a welcome challenge, but uh, a little bit of a struggle just trying to adapt how you approach the literature in a way. So I, I'm getting close, I think. So if it, with any luck in a few months, I'll be able to say that I'm, I'm published as well. Wow. I, I need you to do me a favor. And once that happens, like once you're published, is there going to be any way for me to be able to uh, read the material? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It'll be. Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but, it, you know, if if and when it's published, it'll be available through the journal and you can read the abstract, which is in the, the academic literature world. The abstract is just the summary, basically. And typically the summaries are available to anyone. And then you can either go through some sort of database to get the rest of it or whatever. But I mean, I'll send it to you. It's no big deal. Oh, fan- I-, I would love that. I would absolutely love that. And for purchasing the book, is uh, is going through psychostick.com the most supportive way to buy the book? Uh, yes. So with psychostick.com, or actually psychostick.store, if you want to get directly to the merch store, uh, that's the biggest... Uh, um, what am I trying to say? Like the profit margin is the highest with that particular route. However, it is also available on uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and it's available all over the world as a print-on-demand product. So they have printers, and let's say if you live in England, for example, they have printers in England that are printing it there, so they don't have to actually ship it to England and then sell it. So that way, it costs significantly less for the person who lives in England, and that way you don't have to, you know spend all the money getting it from us here in the u.s all the way across the pond and everything so but if you're a close you know if you live in north america basically if you buy it from the psycho stick store it's a higher profit margin for me so that's fun good because i actually bought it through the psycho stick store awesome (laughs) thank you (laughs) so for 15 bucks you're getting the paperback book plus a digital copy is that correct that's correct yeah all the physical copies that i sell always come with a digital copy and I explained my reasoning for that in one of the later chapters. Basically, I don't see the point in trying to sell physical media without anything in the... Basically, if you don't get that immediate gratification, it's not going to be nearly as fun. So people are going to put it off and they're going to lose interest. So that's kind of been the approach with both Psychostick and for my book as well. Anytime we release anything that's physical, like music especially and books obviously you've got to get the digital at the same exact time. So as soon as you buy it, you also download it. That way you get it, you know, in that exact moment. So I think it's a very important thing that far too many artists and authors and everything else, they kind of overlook that idea. And I think it's a shame. Really? Okay. I I actually have not seen it that way before. Uh, nobody's pointed that out to me yet. Yeah, exactly. That's something that I'm trying to get across to the world. It's a psychological quirk that humans have to where if you wait you become less excited over time it might be my your favorite band in the world but if their album's coming out in four months you might put off put off that pre-order for a couple months and then all of a sudden you're like oh i'll get to it it's not nearly as exciting but if you see something and then immediately you have the option to download it and listen to it immediately that's way more exciting you'll do it in the moment mm-hmm. so a few artists have experimented with that well you know notably us <laughs> we did that with our do album and it worked phenomenally so i think it's a very important thing to keep in mind yeah so your your last album do 
I, mm-hmm. I think that album has been pretty fantastic. How did you enjoy the process of, of writing and recording this album, especially this is the second album now where you've been able to record it in your own crowdfunded studio. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So writing albums, it's kind of funny. Historically, you know, years ago when we were doing, uh, especially with sandwich, for some reason, sandwich in particular, it was a very, we had a very cognitive approach to it. Like, all right, we are now in songwriting mode. We're going to write this album. We're going to release it. And so because of that, that was kind of our focus for, uh, several months. I, I don't remember how long it took exactly before we were able to track everything, but it was exhausting. The album was very long. There's like 24 tracks on Sandwich. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're all very proud of it, but at the same time, we were all so tired. Some of the songs, I feel like they could have, you know, musically they're great, but some of the songs, you know, they might not be as funny as they would have been if we weren't, you know, like killing ourselves just to finish an album. So we made kind of a conscious approach to kind of step back and make it a little more fun with our later, you know, more recent stuff with uh, Revenge of the Vengeance and and Do in particular. <laughs> so we're doing it without an actual uh, objective in mind. We're just song, we're writing songs specifically for the fun of it to write the best piece of work that we can do. And then we can, you know, compile an album over time versus, okay, let's, really focus and finish an album because it takes all this pressure and puts it on and then it makes it more challenging to make it a fun album and makes it more of a, you know, heavy project. It makes it work basically. Yeah. <laughs> so especially with do that was a lot more, you know, we were cognizant of that whole idea. So it was just like, all right, well let's write some songs. And then once we realize that we have like two thirds of an album already finished, we're like, Oh wow. Yeah. Let's write a few more and then get this album done and put it out. And it just made the whole process so much easier and just more relaxed, too. So I think that really, you know, made the songwriting kind of shine a little bit more. Do you think it feels like the structure is forming itself in a way? Yeah, yeah. It's funny. We don't really do concept albums, but albums, our albums seem to have concepts behind them. So like I was just talking about Sandwich, like half the songs of that album relate to food. And that's because we put it out in 2009 and we had just started touring a couple of years prior to that in 2006. So the first years out on tour, we were always hungry and <laughs> we, uh, we just didn't have any money cause we were just dead broke from, you know, from touring and we just not pulling a lot of people at shows, not selling much merch. We're just learning how to tour effectively. And so because of that, we didn't have any money and we didn't buy much food either. So like it just became an album about food. Whereas with Do, we kind of accidentally wrote a concept album about wanting to be lazy. <laughs> and that's kind of why we called it Do, like you got to do stuff. You know, that wasn't you know, directly the reason behind it, but that was, I think, sort of a subconscious thing. And so we have songs in there talking about like introvert party time, you know, where we're trying to avoid people. And we have the song adulting where it's, it's a little more on the nose as far as, you know, just not wanting to do anything that takes effort. Yeah. (laughs) We don't want to do adult things. So it just, yeah, we accidentally wrote an album about, about, you know, lamenting that we can't be lazy. 
Now, when uh, when I was opening in the the liner notes for Sandwich, I was starting to realize mm-hmm. that uh, it's not just one guy who's writing all the music either. It, it feels like uh, all the band members get to have their uh, opportunities to write some of the material. Is that still the case? That's absolutely the case. Yeah. So historically, Josh, our guitarist, has been kind of the primary songwriter in a sense. Like he typically writes maybe a half to two thirds of the music, maybe not so much in recent years, but usually maybe about a half, I would say. And then the rest of us will contribute. You know, I write all my own drum parts, but um, I usually have about one or two songs per album that I personally write. And then, um, yeah, Josh might have five or six and then Rob will have one or two and then Maddie will have one or two. Um, And that gives it an interesting flow for the album too because it's not all the same style throughout it has like sprinkles you know we all have our own styles that we contribute with and i think that makes it just interesting for us as a as musicians as well because it keeps things fun if we get like a really slow heavy song from josh and then we get like a a weird kind of funky thing from maddie and and so on and then I'll write, you know, I wrote Bruce Campbell, and that's just, I don't know what the hell that song is, but it's it's an oddball for sure. <laughs> uh, so. so speaking of, of your uh, opportunities to write in the band, uh, can you talk about uh, some of your favorite material that you've written? Yeah, so I did the song Red Snow in 2007, I believe it was, and we were writing the basically a whole EP for... It's like an anti-Christmas album, and a lot of the songs Josh had written, and then uh, I wanted to write a song just kind of pointing out the fact that it doesn't make any sense when you have these songs like The Day Santa Went Crazy. It's like, why did Santa go crazy? Everyone loves Santa. Like, Rudolph should be the one that goes crazy. He's the (laughs) one that everybody picked on. Yeah. So I wrote this really just dark and brooding, aggressive song it's like slow and just like driving throughout. And I just tried to make it uh, as visceral as possible. And uh, I think the, the peak of the song is the line. Um, what is it exactly? It's something about uh, feel my knife on your throat and I'll grin, put a happy face under your chin. <laughs> so basically I wanted to make it as visual as possible. Like Rudolph is now a psychotic killer, like slitting people's throats and, snorting cocaine and then shooting up the North Pole. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know what happened there, but um, it's one of my favorites because it's just so incredibly dark that it's a really interesting contrast to go from, you know, happy, funny songs that we usually write and then just like this really just brutal, brutal kind of depressing song in the middle of it. So how does it feel when you you have these lyrics written up and you get to see it uh, performed by Rob? Like, how does that feel? Oh, that's awesome. Um, one of the best things about our band in particular is that I think over the years we've gotten better and better about not being so gung-ho about the original lyrics because we require all the Psychostick songs to have a mix of both good music and funny lyrics. And that's kind of our thing. It's got to be both. It can't be one or the other. Like, if you phone in on the music, it's not going to be nearly as powerful as a well-composed song, but it also needs to be funny. So 
it's great when I can write lyrics and bring it to the group. And then it's not so, I'm not so vulnerable that if anyone changes a lyric or has a better idea for a line, I don't get offended by that or anything. It's like, I've gotten, well, we in, in a whole group, I, I think we've gotten a lot better about bringing it to the team and saying, all right, how can we improve this as a team? So I might get it 80% of the way there with the lyrics, and then we'll just kind of fine tooth comb kind of thing and, and make it even better. And um, in the long run, I think that's actually made a lot of the songs quite a bit better. Um, actually, one song in particular, uh, it was a one that I wrote, I think it was, yeah, it was Passive Vengeance. I wrote an entire song. I did all the music and all the lyrics and brought it to the group, and I just I was not happy with the lyrics. I thought they sucked. And so I brought it to Josh and Rob and just basically said, all right, I like the music. I love everything about the composition, but I don't like the lyrics. Can you guys just listen to the instrumental and write different lyrics? You know, perhaps to the same melody, but I just thought they would do a better job with that particular composition. And they killed it. They did such a good job. And so that song, I think, is way more timeless because we worked together as a team and uh, we were able to... Yeah, I could bring crappy lyrics and they could fix them without feeling offended or having it so close to the chest where it's like, oh, I wrote this. I want it to be my song. It's like, I don't care about that. I want it to be our song. I want it to be a cycle stick song. I love that mentality because that also makes it so that any kind of ego has to be given the boot. Yeah, and typically we're pretty good at that. You know, this it's not 100%. You know, sometimes we might get a little bummed because we thought we really wanted to have it one way or another way. But uh, generally speaking, we're getting better and better with that. And I think it really shows with the music as well. So I'm really happy to be able to report that um, just as a musician that we can work as a team and, and be so effective with it. Well, yeah, and your your band is is a relationship between four four different dudes and like everybody has to make their own compromises. Like I have to do that for uh, my shows as well. So it's all about how you run it. Yes and no, except uh, I prefer not to think of it as compromises. I prefer to think of it as since we are a team, we all have our kind of specialties in a sense. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not that I compromise by allowing other people to put in their two cents when I bring an idea to the table. It's that they can help to make it better. So it's kind of a different, it's the same thing on paper, I guess you could say, but it's a different way of looking at it that, in my view, is a lot more conducive with getting the best out of everyone. So it's less, you know, feeling nervous, like, I don't want to offend this guy, but how do I say that this part could be improved? It's not like that. It's more like, ooh, that's great. Let's make it even better. That's a healthier mentality. I like that. I think so. I think yeah. so. Now, you, your band has gone through a couple different bass players. And, Correct. And Maddie, though, it's it's at a point, it, it has been to this point for a number of years now, where if Maddie was no longer in the band, it's not going to feel the same to me. So, yeah, so the band has existed for 20 years, and Maddie's been in the band since 2010. So he's been in for half of the duration of this band. So he's the bass player. <laughs> yeah, and it's not even that. It's like Maddie just fits the style of of Psycho Stick for me. Absolutely. And what I want to know is uh, how did you guys decide or realize that Maddie was a, a fit for your band? 
okay, that's a good question. Um, let's see. In 2010, I had reached out to Billy Reimer from the Dillinger Escape Plan because he's, you know, one of my favorite drummers ever. And I was just kind of casually chatting with him here and there on, I think it was MySpace at the time, actually. Mm-hmm. And our uh, previous bass player had kind of just left and not told us or anything. It just sort of just like took off and that was super depressing and that just sucked. So we're just kind of like, what do we do now? We're kind of just thinking like, do we just not have a bass player or find somebody new? Just kind of like a make or break point in psychostick history. So I reached out to Billy. It's like, Hey, if you know anybody, can you like send them our way? I don't know really who else to ask. So he sends me his phone number. He's like, call me immediately. We got to figure this out. Cause I have the guy for you. So I'm like, Oh shit. I'll call Billy now. All right. So I, I chat with him and he's like, I got your dude. And uh, it's like a dude that he grew up with Maddie uh, on long Island. And so what they did was we sent them three songs. One of them was orange, the song orange. And then it was two other ones. I forget which, but we said, all right, learn these three songs and record yourself playing them. And that'll be a sort of our tryout or whatever. Cause we lived across the country. So he did. He sent us the video with him, and it was like a lot of fun because he had the energy. He was playing the parts, but he had a smile on his face too, just like happy to be there. And then at one point, I saw Billy like walk behind him and start like, you know, moshing. So, <laughs> and it's just like it had a really healthy uh, excitement to it, and it was just really cool to see that. So at that moment, we're like, all right, yeah, let's let's bring this guy on tour. And so a couple months later, we were on the road and he played his first show in atlanta Eh, maybe not atlanta it was like outside atlanta or something but georgia in any way in any case and um so yeah we started playing with him and it's he was the new guy for a while of course because being in a group that's been around for 10 years with the same members of course it's going to be um it's going to take some time to acclimate and, and find your your core spot and find your place in the the group but, um, you know, they just kind of evolved over time. And now he's just, uh, you know, a member that you, you can't remove Maddie from Psycho Stick anymore. It's like the, the four of us, it's like, that's the core. You know, you got to have the us as four members, as far as I'm concerned. Because if we had to start over with a new singer or bass player, or guitarist, it's like, that sounds exhausting. Let's just stick with what we have. Yeah. <laughs> what we have is working. It's great. I have zero interest in, in changing anyone. <laughs> uh, do you mind if I bring up my favorite memory of this dude? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, this was in Iowa City when you guys were doing your tour, playing the entirety of We Couldn't Think of the Title. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, it, it was it's one of my favorite shows from you guys. But uh, during the intro. What's that? Was it the Picador or Gabe's or Gabe's. what's the name of it? Gabe's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, and, and you actually had Frontal Assault uh, uh, opening for you, too. Oh, yeah. And I've I've had them on my uh, shows a few times here and there. Awesome. Uh, but uh, during the instrumental and during the, the breakdown specifically, uh, Maddie was, was stomping around and, and playing the bass. And I'm all the way up front. And I notice, okay, he's... He's actually uh, stomping closer towards me. <laughs> oh shit! He's getting closer, and you know, you know that kind of like nervous laugh that you give because 
all this energy is like thrown right at you. And he's, he's continuing to stomp, stomp closer towards me. The next thing I know is his face is at mine and he goes, you smell good. (laughs) (laughs) It's so like, like, dude, (laughs) it's, it's one of my favorite memories of, of going to a concert. And so every time I go to a show, um, like Rob gets tired as shit after the show because of how much energy he's having to put out from being oh, the front for sure. Man. Yeah. But every time I, I go and talk to you guys or uh, just just chill out with you, like you're completely personable. Um, none of you guys are a dick either. And it's like, how do you keep that up when uh, when talking to your audience? It's uh, critical to keep in mind that the only reason we have the honor of being able to record and perform and have music careers is because of people who listen. If this was just a hobby and no one gave a shit, we wouldn't have the opportunity to play Gabe's and, you know, have him sniff you and then (laughs) make a memory that you'll never, you know, never lose. So it just, it makes zero sense to me to think of the musicians that, take that for granted and think that they're better than other people and they just try to avoid them and hide on their bus and never want to talk to anyone and just like that just it's so foreign to me because as you know it, it took many years but we we built this fan base we built this whole psychostic world uh from literally nothing it's not like we had this huge label and a bunch you know the crazy radio play it's like we had minimal radio play we're thankful for it but we didn't have like a big machine behind us pushing us to make us these like crazy superstars or whatever. We did it all ourselves. And um, taking that for granted would just be stupid. So of course I'm going to shake everyone's hand. Well, not right now. We'll just like wave <laughs> each other right now. But <laughs> I mean, it just, okay. So here's the critical difference. I, I mean, I consider myself a musician, but not a rock star. Because I actually say that in my book, I I point out that I think rock stars are like these imaginary people that you only get to see on documentaries. And they're like too cool, you know, like they're too big for anybody and they don't give a shit. They just kind of blow everybody off. It's like, fuck that, man. Like that just sounds like a terrible way to live. Just why? I really value humility. I think that's a very, very important quality in artists because... I wouldn't have a career if it wasn't for you guys. So Aww. why the hell would I be an asshole to you? You know, <laughs> well, it just, I, mean, I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. Like it just, I can't comprehend that type of thinking. And so it just confuses me when I see these idiots in interviews that are just like, Oh, whatever. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have actually had that happen with uh, an artist that I interviewed or at least try interviewing it was it was set up for me back in 2013 i'm not gonna name who it was but oh man i i (laughs) i i uh got treated like shit by this person and then i watched them uh blow off a fan and at that point it's like i maybe i don't maybe i don't have to support you anymore then exactly Uh, but that's exactly right yeah and you guys have completely like earned the the respect that you guys have gained now you guys became more known for the the song beer and Mm -hmm. 
whenever I hear it, uh, whenever I hear Psycho Stick on the radio play, it's it's always the song Beer. Um, do you guys ever wish that more people would would know you guys for more than just beer? No, actually, here's the funny thing. There's there's several ways to answer that question, but that really confused us in 2005, circa 2005, let's say, uh, when that song started getting radio play. It's just like, wait, what? Why that song? Like, that's the the song that took 10 minutes to write. It was so confusing to us because we didn't understand at the time that, you know, radio hits, if you will, they're happy accidents. You can't really plan. You can't, you know, set out to write a hit and then just magically get a hit. It's like that's not really how things work. It's kind of like a viral video in today's uh, parlance. Um, you can't just create a viral video. It's it's a happy accident. And because of that, I realized years later that that very easily could have happened with the hokey fucking pokey. Our cover if you will of uh, the hokey pokey that we ended up not putting on our first album because the company that owns the original hokey pokey um would have sued us because they're very you know they're famous for suing people who try to you know borrow their you know their songs that they own or whatever so that was the reason why that song was not on the album was because of the label the record label and i realized that we very easily could have been um, known not for beer, not for an original song, but for a cover. And that I think would have probably pigeonholed us in a huge way because bands that are known for covers first don't seem to have the longevity in my, you know, that's the way I perceive it at least. And I'm not saying that they're bad bands by any means, but when I think of groups like Alien Ant Farm, the first thing I think of is that Michael Jackson cover. Yeah. Nothing against them, but that's the first thing I think of. And they have other really good songs, but that's just not what they're known for. So I'm incredibly thankful. I mean, sorry, Alien Ant Farm, but <laughs> I'm incredibly thankful that uh, at least the song, even though it was confusing at first, uh, at least it was something that's unique that we wrote, and it wasn't just a cover or a parody or anything like that. So... It's it's very flattering that the song that's on the radio is one that we actually wrote. Actually, now that, that you mentioned, that make any sense? Yeah, and, and now that you mentioned parody, it's like Weird Al Yankovic. He is known um, specifically for uh, his parodies. Yeah, it's yeah, so, but his originals are awesome. Like he's so fucking good. So yeah. It's, but at the same time, he's way, way more popular than we are, so <laughs> he has an actual career. <laughs> well, as much as he's way more popular, or way more well-known at least, um, like what I appreciate about, about Psycho Stick is they continuously write their own music, or you guys do at least. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I, I appreciate that, because that it, to me, it makes your material much more timeless. That's how I prefer to view it as well. Um, if we write our own music, which we've been doing uh, primarily, that, yeah, like you said, it, it makes it uh, more timeless. Whereas, you know, we sometimes do the parodies and those are a lot of fun. We do, you know, covers sometimes and those are fun, but that's not our main go to. And it's not nearly as rewarding uh, as an individual, as a musician. It's not as rewarding to uh, to play drums for uh, like a parody or a 
cover. It's like they're fun, but it's also kind of just like, all right, okay, let's do a real song now. It's just that's kind of how I feel about it. It's like I I like doing it, but I don't love doing it. If you know what I mean. Absolutely. So, that's kind of my perception of it, at least. Like other the other guys in the band might have a different view of that whole thing, but uh, yeah, parodies are fun, but it's just like kind of a. It, it, it's not my, that's not the reason why I play drums. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Now, since you are responsible for the song, uh, Bruce Campbell, uh, mm-hmm. are, are you aware of, uh, Bruce Campbell's reaction from that song? Oh yeah. So, <laughs> how, how did it feel, yeah. uh, getting a response from him about it? It was incredibly amusing to me because I know, I know for a fact that people pester him about that song all the time because, <laughs> He, uh, like I said, just like with Weird Al, like he has a, you know, a much larger reach. Like a lot more people know Bruce Campbell than know Psycho Stick. And so I'm thinking about it from our level. If there's something that someone has quoted to me and then another person and another person on tour and just like, like a a part of a song has been quoted to me a hundred times. It's like, yeah, that gets a little bit old after a while. And it's like, all right, you know, I try to steer the conversation somewhere else. So it's like, I don't have to like be subjected to the same exact joke that I've heard 15 other times in the last week. So if I'm already feeling that at our level, I can't even imagine how often he gets pestered with, hey, did you hear that Bruce Campbell song? It's like, <laughs> and then they start singing the kazoo part or something. It's like, that's got to be incredibly irritating. So <laughs> I am positive that we have just irritated the fuck out of Bruce Campbell. And it's just <laughs> amusing to me that in the in the radio interview that he did, I assume we're talking about the same thing, but uh, they played part of the song, and he's like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, Bruce, but I'm, I'm amused that he now is being subjected to the pain of people not realizing that... <laughs> You know, a hundred other people have already done the same thing to him. <laughs> I don't know why, but this is wholesome to me. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the real shit, man. <laughs> yeah. So uh, can you briefly talk about your guys' uh, early beginnings with Psycho Stick? Because uh, uh, I, I, I remember a young Psycho Stick that is just full of blooming energy uh including uh the boy in a cow suit uh oh yeah can you describe what the early days were like for you guys yeah so i tried out for psycho stick in august of 2000 so we're coming up on 20 years in just a few months now and that was in my bedroom i had my drum set up in my bedroom uh at my parents house when i was 15 years old so I was just starting high school and the other guys were 20, 21, like Rob and Josh were, you know, in their early twenties. So they were several years older than me. So I tried out by learning the song Pla and I played it in my room and we, they came out and they, uh, they plugged in their guitars and all that stuff. And we, you know, we practiced it for the very first time. That's how I tried out. And so going from there and then starting the band over the next few months and trying to create, you know, this thing that became psycho stick. It was very interesting. Like my role in the group, I was very much the 15 year old. And I think they were pretty hesitant to bring me on because I was so much younger than them. Cause you know, five years is not, it doesn't matter at all now, but 
the difference between 15 and 20, that makes a big difference because they were out of high school. I was just starting high school, you know, things like that. So they were worried that I wouldn't be, you know, an adult, I guess. <laughs> yeah. They didn't want to deal with stupid kid crap. They wanted to start a band. So I think they were hesitant at first, but I'm really glad that they gave me a shot so that we can actually, you know, go from there. And so we recorded our first album. I was 17. You know, that's when we uh, did the first album and we recorded songs like beer and I had never had a beer in my life at that point. So it's just, it's really funny to me thinking about that kind of stuff because we would play at this local venue called the Mason jar and it was 21 and up. And so I remember going to that bar to perform a psycho state. We would open up the show for whomever, I don't remember who was playing at the time, but uh, probably a lot of like uh, other local bands, like buddies of ours and other bands. And I would be on stage performing our 30 minute set. And then I would immediately get kicked out right after we played. And I wasn't allowed to come back in because I wasn't 21. So <laughs> that was kind of my world. Like that's how I experienced the first few years of psycho stick was just being a kid, not even old enough to have a drink performing songs about drinking and then yeah like you said wearing a cow suit it's just like a very very bizarre way to come of age i gotta say very bizarre absolutely uh and so fast forward to now and uh you guys are currently doing weekly live streams and Mm -hmm. this has been coming up because did you you guys had to, had to cancel a tour? Did you? Um. Okay. So in twenty, so there's two parts to that. In 2019, we started doing periodic live streams on Twitch specifically. Okay. And they were moderately successful. Like we were still trying to figure out, trying to make our own thing, and and it didn't become a regular habitual concert series because um, it was just, I think it was a little bit too new and people didn't really understand what we were going for in a sense. So like, Oh, this is really cool. But wait, they're a band too. Like it was just kind of odd. So fast forward, you know, into 2020. uh, Well, actually even coming up to 2020, we were kind of tapering off the whole touring uh, lifestyle where you go out for weeks or months at a time, because that is just, incredibly exhausting and it's it's a lot of fun to play shows but it's not a lot of fun to be on the road playing almost every single night for months at a time and getting shit sleep and not eating well and getting sick and all this stuff it's like touring is really hard man it's it's tough so we decided to take a different approach in late 2019 going into 2020 and start primarily doing uh weekends so that way no one could ever complain that, hey, why'd you come here on a Tuesday? Why aren't you here on Friday? Because we heard that all the time. We're like, guys, we're on the road. We can't just play two nights a week. <laughs> mm-hmm. So trying to repeatedly explain that to people was kind of exhausting. But um, we kind of switched gears, and we we just been doing uh, weekend shows. And so we'd go out and play a couple in Ohio, and then we go and do some in Minnesota. And then, you know, and and that was kind of our thing for several months there. And then getting up into February, 2020, we played our shows in, um, Cincinnati. And then we went up to, I think it was uh, the Detroit area and then came back. And so that was kind of our new thing. And it was working really well. Cause every, you know, if you only play weekend shows, everybody has it off. And so everybody goes 
and people don't miss nearly as many shows that way. So it was an effective, it's a very efficient way to perform. Um, but then once everything kind of started getting locked down, all of our shows that were on the books, cause we had shows every couple week, you know, every couple weekends we would have a couple shows. And so there were several that, uh, we had to postpone. So we had to push them back. And I suspect, honestly, we're probably going to need to just cancel the whole year because I mean, literally like there's no vaccine. So how are we going to avoid spreading it if we're playing concerts? That's kind of my view at this point, but right. we'll see what happens. Um, in any case, um, yeah, we kind of migrated from that mentality of going from tours to weekends. And then once we realized, like, okay, we can't play live shows anymore, how do we stay afloat as a group? How do we make enough money to keep playing music if we're not playing shows ever? Because that was our primary source of income. And so we went, oh, yeah, we can stream. We've already ironed out all the details. Like, we got all the bugs out of the way. So we already knew how to stream. So we had a huge, huge advantage on every other band out there doing streams now because we had already worked out the kinks last year. So when we started doing this weekly thing, uh, I think it was Josh specifically, was like, we got to do it on one day a week at the same exact time to make it habitual. Otherwise, people just won't know you know like oh when are they streaming again it just if it's not a habit people aren't going to go right so we we were very very cognizant about making that a regular thing so we could always push the same exact thing like thursdays four central five eastern it never changes so uh we started doing that in what is it march i guess like late march we started doing that yeah and the first one the first one was a smashing success. It was insane. And we were just blown away uh, because we were getting really, really close to being in a really bad financial situation as a group because we had not anticipated, you know, a complete lockdown of the entire world and not being able to sustain ourselves as a touring act. So, um, yeah, the first one was enormous it was so relieving and it was so encouraging that everyone cared so much and they all you know so many people bought merch and donated and all this awesome stuff it like revitalized the group in a huge huge way like psycho stick was in a kind of a nasty situation by march and we were kind of like not panic but like what the fuck do we do like we got to figure something out and everybody like so many people uh pitched in and helped us in a huge huge way and that was enormously encouraging we're like all right we got to keep doing this and so the second week we decided to start um splitting the donations half and half you know half to keep us going and the other half all right let's vet some charities let's start donating money to charities and make it less of a you know, not so much strictly a uh, avoidance thing, like you're trying to ignore the bad stuff in the world. I mean, still, we're, we're not ignoring all the things that are bad that are happening. We're just choosing to focus on the things that are positive, that we can control. I can't control the spread of a virus, but I can control which donations we you know, we try to support. So we started doing that, and... It dropped off a little bit in week two and week three, but then it started, it's been taking off 
enormously ever since. So by about a month in, you know, so by the fourth one, it's been growing every single time. And we didn't anticipate this at all. But I mean, I am incredibly thankful to everyone who shows up to those crazy things because, you know, it's changing everything for us. Like this is enormous. <laughs> I don't know. It's crazy. So here, here's the thing. Like I have been watching your guys' streams through Twitch as well. And awesome. the, the thing about your music is that uh, I can continuously watch your guys' streams each week and it never gets boring. Mm. So it's like, you know, if if uh, sleep were to decide to do weekly streams where they're they're playing their one hour dope smoker, like, <laughs> like I don't know if they're gonna be able to keep up with the viewership. But you guys, it, it's like every time you guys stream, I'm never bored from it. Like, how do you keep some form of freshness up with all of this? Because there's yeah, there's a couple different uh, ways to answer that. One is that. I am lucky enough to be in a band with three other guys who all like gaming. I'm not a gamer at all, but they all like it. And so Rob especially loves getting on Twitch and participating in that world. So he understands the audience. He understands how to communicate with them and to make sure to keep up with the chat room and things like that. Um, whereas if it was just me and let's say I was the singer, I would be far less effective than Rob is because... I wouldn't know to do that. Like, it's just not part of my world. It's becoming part of my world, but um, historically, like, uh, that's just not part of my life at all. It's like, it's more of a, you know, I'm a passive viewer of media or I'm a concert goer. I'm not an active online media consumer, if you will. So having that knowledge because of my bandmates is incredibly important. And I think a lot of bands don't have that. So you'll have groups that are, you know, let's say they're performing music or whatever on, on streams and stuff like that. That's awesome. But I suspect it's going to decline unless they figure out how to communicate effectively through that medium, because it's a unique thing. It's a different world and it's different from concerts. So um, it's a skill they have to develop for sure. But the other half of that is that we have played over 1,200 shows, like live shows, in the duration of Psycho Stick. And so we know how to perform. Like we, we, That's a skill that we've developed, for sure, over the last 20 years. And so we can play a goddamn live show, and that's not a problem at all. <laughs> so combining those two things, like knowing how to perform and making it fun to watch, and then also communicating effectively in between songs, I think that's the magic... Um, I don't solution. I don't know what to call it exactly, but there's definitely a combination that you got to have of both. And that's what I've been learning very quickly. And I did not know that two months ago, but I, I think I'm learning it now. Or to put it another way, you guys have the it. We uh, have the it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, like I, I have all the confidence with our live shows. We can perform in yeah. front of any remotely metal crowd and do great. Like that's not a problem at all. Like I'm, very confident with that part of it but the uh, the live streaming part of it that's the part that a lot of bands would really benefit from keeping in mind and like you know go to other twitch channels and look at them like observe them and how they interact with their audience because it's a different world and you got to know how to interact in order to do it effectively yeah 
it it takes a certain skill set and and you have to develop it yeah mm-hmm. uh now for the the donations you guys have been receiving so you guys have been able to uh sell a good amount of uh shirts um yeah. music and and just straight donations from people and you're taking a good chunk of that and using that towards charity as you just mentioned uh, can can you tell us about um what the numbers have have been like for charity and, and what and um really what's been i don't know how to ask this but uh um what's it been like being able to provide these charities that you, that you are are happy to donate to oh it's it's incredibly empowering so i'm going to get a little nerd like nerdy with the psych stuff for a little bit please um, in the psychology worlds, having a, just a semblance, a tiny little bit of control is a life or death difference. With uh, This has been shown in research. Like There have been studies published with people in nursing homes. When people don't feel like they have any control over their lives, they die years sooner than the people who have just a little bit of control. And what one group of researchers in particular did was all they did was they gave them a plant. They gave them a potted plant and said, all right, this is your plant. It is your responsibility to make sure it gets enough sunlight and make sure it gets watered and take care of this plant. Like this is, this is you. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to, but this is your plant. And what happened was these people lived months, if not years longer, because they felt just a tiny little bit of control over their environment. So that concept was really powerful to me when I learned that a couple of years ago. And it's always been kind of, not always in the back of my mind, but it's something I try to keep in mind. Like control is very, very important for people. So in the current situation with everyone feeling out of control because everyone's stuck at home and a lot, so many people are out of work and everyone's scared and it's just like a very stressful environment, people don't feel in control and that's very very detrimental to people's health and so when you're stressed for a long time it reduces your immune system so it's a big negative cycle that is not you know it's not healthy at all in in a psychological or a physical sense so my approach personally like my reasoning for wanting to do this it might i forget who recommended it at first like who suggested that we do donations but my biggest reason personally to offer this chance to have a tiny bit of control over the world is so that people can feel that so people can join into our streams and they can enjoy the music and they can they can have a laugh and they can have a fun time and share the experience and have a little chat pit in the in the chat bar and all that stuff but one of the most important aspects which we don't really talk about obviously because it's a a fun concert it's not you know psychological <laughs> necessarily But one of the most important aspects is providing that avenue to allow people to have a tiny little bit of control over the world when they're feeling out of control because it's vital and people don't realize that. That's a beautiful way of putting it. I don't know if I answered your question or not. I feel like I kind of went off in a different direction, (laughs) but that's what's going through my brain with the, with the charities in particular. But, uh, Oh, you asked for numbers also. We've done, eight or nine charities now and i vetted all of them i went to charitynavigator.org i think it is i made sure these are all top rated charities you know the money's going where it should you know things like that 
but um, all these different charities, they've gotten anywhere from, I think uh, the lowest was a little over a thousand and the highest so far is a little over 1600. So all these different charities are getting at least about a thousand bucks each in order to put it toward anything from humanitarian medical aid to masks to, you know, whatever it might be, but it's all health related. So that's how it goes back to the control a little bit too. Mm-hmm. It's uh, contributing good to the world in more ways than one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think I have uh, gone through what I can so far with this. Is there anything that, uh, are, are there any future plans for psycho stick that you want to talk about? Oh yeah, always. So we're actually just about to, as soon as the money clears, so the donations, it takes a couple days for the money to clear, but on yeah. probably Monday, we're going to donate the last, uh, from the last stream from Thursday, the, the prior stream that we've done, and that'll hit $10,000 donated uh, to date within the last couple months. So that's a big milestone for us. We're going to be announcing that with a big uh, a screenshot of the latest donation and all that stuff. So that's huge. Like I'm really excited about about that and just being able to say that you know it wasn't even us it was our psych it was psychostick's fans and basically i want to convey the idea that you know it's their victory you know more than it is ours like we you know were able to bring it together so that people could participate but really it's it's all because of our fans not because of us necessarily yeah so um yeah that's that's gonna be huge in a couple days um we have some we have a bunch of songs that we're working on one that is almost done i I don't know how far along it is but probably like 90 percent finished or whatever in the recording process so um maybe we'll put that out sometime soon (laughs) (laughs) but we are collecting songs in order to compile an album little by little that way you know we were talking about before with the um slowly building an album and it kind of takes the pressure off we're kind of in that mode as well so we're working on that we're working on playing not only new songs of the live streams but also older ones so that we know our entire discography because that's always been a goal for us mm-hmm. is to be able to play every song that we've ever done and we're getting pretty close now so we're uh, each week we're playing other songs that we either haven't done before or we haven't played in years or whatever it might be so that's coming up um yeah my books in stores which is crazy uh yeah a lot of crazy shit's happening man it's it's a lot of fun that's great i can't wait to see what comes next from you guys and the videos you've been putting out on youtube whether it's the the new music like chimichanga or (laughs) or you guys' ads for your uh your live streams (laughs) like yeah murph our video guy he is killing it with those things doing such a good job the the star trek parody and and look i i can't i can't praise your your one nine hundred uh video <laughs> enough like as soon as i i heard the oh, and a large penis alex like <laughs> it just gives a great belly laugh out of you <laughs> uh, so you can edit this out if you want to but i gotta be a little little bit vulgar uh when we were filming that uh basically uh, uh, Rob was he was filming it for Murphs because Murph doesn't want to associate too much with us in person right now, just because he's 
um, trying to not get sick and everything like that. So we're just trying to get just like minimal people in the actual studio, which is why it's just us four. But when we were filming that, uh, Rob at the camera, he's like, all right, try a couple things and, and be sexy or whatever. And so for one of them, I was wearing the, the cow pants. And so I put my foot up on my, uh, on my floor tom to kind of spread my legs open. And it's like, who likes bestiality? <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't make the final cut, but it made me laugh. So I thought I'd share it with you. So you get the glory. Oh my God. Well, look, this is nowhere near as, as vulgar as we get from my shows. So, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking great. Um, <laughs> so, um, Alex, I want to thank you so much for doing this with us here. Um, it's, it's been a fantastic hour of being able to do just shoot the shit with you and be able to, uh, ask all these questions with you. And, uh, I hope that we get to have you again, uh, on our show. So thank you. Uh, yeah, man. Thank you too. Because here's the thing with interviews is that if you ask shitty questions, you're going to get shitty answers. So basically my go-to when I explain this to people is if you can find it on Wikipedia, don't ask it. You ask great questions, therefore, it was fun to do. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, for those, I'm pretty sure we're going to be having some newer listeners um, since, you know, I'm chasing that clout that is Psycho Stick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, if listeners want to be able to support the shows that we do, the biggest thing that I can ask is for them to share the shows because that allows us to get in uh, different interviews and guests on the show. Um, I actually Hell have yeah. uh, an interview with someone that's running a uh, uh, a haunted uh, haunted house tomorrow. But oh, awesome. um, and if people want to financially support us, we have patreon.com slash arrogant media for five bucks per month. You get access into the discord that we run and we have merch dot arrogant media dot net. Uh, we can purchase a T-shirt hoodie or even a mug. So. Uh, thank you again, Alex. Thank you again to the listeners. And until next time, fall damage. Okay. Hey there. Don't forget to subscribe to Madcast Shows on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Okay, bye. Madcast Media Network. <laughs>